was in late December of my 21st year, and I found my pockets bare enough to once more seek employ by way of the Atlantic Ocean, doing whatever simple work a man with high spirits and low ambition would provide a ship's captain. This expedition would reveal itself to be a cursed endeavor from the first breath, and soon would find ourselves adrift in near-frozen waters, a sea of fog engulfing our entire world. For days that limped along endlessly, we struggled to ease the boredom by staring off into the mist, straining our eyes for the slightest break in the white hell stretching before us. On what could have been the ten thousandth day, we saw it at last, the slightest of shimmers dead ahead, and it was growing larger, brighter, and we were headed straight for that horrible, beautiful light, and in our madness we thanked God for delivering us into his grace. Little did my crewmates suspect we had been delivered instead to the gaping maw of the manscape. When the light that had overtaken us subsided, we opened our eyes to sight ever more miraculous. Dry land. We set sail for the island now before us, not far from swimming distance away, too desperate for the feel of grass beneath our feet to notice how strangely red the skies now looked. How still the water seemed despite our steady progress through it. Once we reached land, the miracles did not cease. Littered on the grass were countless wooden crates, filled with the most strange and miraculous wares we had ever laid eyes upon. Whether these belonged to another doomed crew or to the island itself, I will never know. But I am resolute in my certainty that the items were not of this age, or perhaps even the sphere of the cosmos. First, there were the boxer briefs, black as night and as comfortable as a glove, gently holding the curve of our nethers in ways the lovers we had left at home never could. Then there were the crates marked Crop Preserver, which contained a wonderful ointments which cured us of the chafing that had long been a sailor's greatest misery. Then there were the twin oddities that were the weed whacker and lawn mower, vibrating wands which effortlessly removed the hair from our noses and unmentionables, respectively. And the most curious of all were the shirts, all emblazoned with a single, enigmatic word, Manscaped. By the time anyone had noticed the ship had vanished, our hair had already begun to grow at a rate we, in another life, would have found troubling. But the compulsion to shave, to style, to clothe oneself in form, fitting, underwear, it conquered our minds in a bloodless coup, and all it asked in return for its gifts was that we stay in this manscape forever, shaving forever, a crew of stylish men trapped in a realm of perpetual grooming. I share this story not as a warning, but as an act of obedience to a new 
God, I both fear and love. The one who has manscaped my soul and speaks now through me to deliver a message to those who seek its bounties. Venture to manscaped.com and use offer code BOXOFFICEPULP. All one word. To get 20% off your order plus free shipping. I will repeat this once more. Manscaped.com. Offer code BOXOFFICEPULP. Your balls will thank you. Here's Johnny. I'll be back. And you will know my name is the Lord. I'm walking here. I'm walking here. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Groovy. Welcome to Box Office Pulp, your one-stop podcast for movies, madness, and moxie. I'm your host, Cody, and joining me tonight are my usual co-hosts, Mike and Jamie. But I'm not even going to give him a chance to introduce themselves. It takes forever. Hey. But more importantly, quiet you, but more importantly, we're being joined by a journalist and Ghouls Magazine contributor and Moving Pictures Film Club contributor, Ariel. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, I let Mike do all the communication here, so hopefully he didn't lie to me about the actual subject we're doing. Uh, today, we're doing a therapy session for Jamie, right? Because she finally watched Lake Mungo? Well, I don't. I don't consider... Like Mungo, something I watched more than something I did to myself. Oh boy. Don't get me wrong. I <laughs> absolutely, I am very taken with that movie and I absolutely adore it and will be thinking about it a lot in the coming weeks. But, oh boy, that, that, that was a rough watch right before recording. <laughs> you, you, you ever just like come home after a long day of work and, and say, I, you know what? I need to bum myself out. <laughs> If you Every do, day. put on Lake Mungo. <laughs> so we're not here just specifically to talk about Lake Mungo, but found footage films in general. That just seemed like a good depressing point to start on. Uh, so have, have you actually seen Lake Mungo? I think it's on uh, uh, Shutter now, so everyone has a chance to uh, really depress themselves if they want to. I've seen it, yeah. I, um, I, I actually feel sometimes a little controversial. I didn't really like it the first time I watched it because I just think I went into it expecting something different. Mm -hmm. But then, like, the second time I watched it, I was like, okay, I know where this is going. I know what to expect. And I really, really liked it a lot. So I'm not sure if it was just, like, the hype around it or I don't – if I just wasn't in, like, the right mindset that day. But, um, yeah, I ended up really liking it. I had the, I had the ending – I had the ending spoiled to me beforehand, which I think oh. contributed a lot to me – uh, liking the movie, actually. It's one of those few movies where I almost feel like you're better off knowing the ending because you can adjust your expectations for where the movie's going to go. <laughs> but, well, one thing I will say, in found footage, they almost all end pretty badly. Typically, it's found footage, right, because someone has to discover <laughs> what was left behind because no one makes it out alive. Right. You pretty much have to expect, like, if it's pure found footage, everybody has to die. If it's mockumentary, then some people have to die. And kind of like a, a fun twist is um, the movies that are based on, like, live streaming and web webcasting. Um, 
anything can happen in those because that's not so much found footage as it is you're just witnessing it in real time. So most likely everybody's going to die, but could could be something else. I think the betting money is always it's not going to end well. Yeah. So do you do you consider the kind of new wave of I guess it's not even that new of a wave because we've had things like Collinswood story or the last broadcast showing stuff that isn't just footage recovered but uh, even like webcam footage. Do you consider that all part of the same genre, or would you actually break that down to separate things? Uh, I don't get too picky. I kind of lump it all together under found footage. I mean, if we do want to break it down, I think there's a difference between like screen life films, like Unfriended, um, and mockumentary versus like I-, I think like the Blair Witch Project and Paranormal Activity. Like those are just straight up found footage. There's nothing else going on in those. So um, I do think it's worth separating it if you want to talk about the features of each but i just sort of love it all and call it all found footage gotcha do you have a personal favorite flavor out of those Ooh, that's a good question i think um as long as it's really well done i think i can love all of it but i think the closer it makes me feel to i found this tape in the basement and popped it on and i i don't know what i expected and i shouldn't be watching this whatever makes (laughs) me feel like that is what i want see i would kind of describe that as like the uh poughkeepsie tapes and i don't know if i would describe that as my favorite because that one gives me a major heebie-jeebies yeah or like be my cat a film for Anne. have you all seen that one I have not seen that one. I haven't seen that one yet, no. Oh, that's a film that'll make you feel like you're watching something you're not supposed to be watching. But it's really great. (laughs) Very well done. I actually didn't know that was found footage. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's it's a guy showing you how he's making a movie. So it plays out like found footage because it's... It's kind of like um, student filmmakers making a film, like it's kind of set up that way. So it plays mm-hmm. out like found footage. This is gotcha. the same feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's one of the things I always find so frustrating when a lot of people, especially uh, like about 10 years ago, when people were really going in hard against found footage by saying that it's the most formulaic of subgenres in horror. And it's like, even just among like regular found footage movies, there's such a variety in all the different styles and all the different approaches and goals of each movie. Right. Also, have they heard of slashers? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a little bit uh, weird to have a horror fan being mad about theme and variation. Yeah. It's such a misnomer anyway that found footage doesn't, ha- doesn't deal with themes and, and larger concepts. I mean, some of the best ones do. Uh, I mean, we talked about some of them in our very first found footage episode, but since then, more and more have come out that have more more done that. Like, it's funny wa- looking at like the old wave. Um, if you're if you have Tubi, you can go look at a bunch of found footage movies that were made in about a six month gap after the Blair Witch Project came out, <laughs> and they're all exactly the same, um, nearly identical, like. It looks like they're shot in the same place, practically. And actually, they probably all are. Um, but that's that's what like found footage was known for for a very long time. It's it's now we're getting into ones that, that actually do deal with larger pieces of storytelling. Uh, we talked about some like Cloverfield or As Above, So Below. But one that I'm like uh, fascinated by is Butterfly Kisses, which I've seen since the the last time we did an episode on this. And I'm starting to think you guys are just making up movie titles on me because I haven't heard this one either. No, that one exists. I wrote an article about butterfly kisses for Certified Forgotten. 
Uh, okay. It's a really good article. Um, that's actually how I oh, uh, first came across you. it. Because uh, I was like looking up butterfly kisses stuff when I like watched it. And I just went through that for a while because no one really talks about butterfly kisses. Um, continues yeah. the proud trend of my state of being the found footage capital of the world. <laughs> Don't know why. <laughs> well, it is like Maryland is like 80% creepy ass woods. I, I've right. driven to your house at night. And managed to I, leave. As far as we all know. Um, I I really like Butterfly Kisses. And, um, I mean, Certified Forgotten is a great site because their whole purpose is to bring attention to movies that don't get talked about a lot. And so Butterfly Kisses was a good opportunity. I'm really glad they let me write for them. Um, that movie is awesome for a found footage fan because there are three levels of found footage happening in that movie. And it's, which sounds sort of like it would be a mess, but it's not. It's really well put together and presented really well. So um, for those of you who said you hadn't seen Butterfly Kisses, I definitely recommend seeking it out. It's usually free on Prime, but it might be other places too. I think it's in a few different places right now. So uh, you can, you can spoil parts of it. It'll be okay. I'll I'll survive. When you, when you say there are three layers to the film, uh, what does that mean? Yeah. So. There's one layer of found footage where there are student filmmakers who are making a documentary about an urban legend. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there they are. It's like Sasha and some guy. I can't remember his name. Um, Then the main like protagonist in the film finds the footage of the film they were making like in a basement, like his parents move into a new house and there's these tapes shoved under a stairwell and he finds this student filmmaker's film about an urban legend. Well, he's an aspiring filmmaker himself and he wants to make a documentary about that footage. So he hires a documentary crew so that he can make a movie about the movie he's found. So we're with him sometimes, but then we're also with the documentary filmmaker sometimes because the main guy is kind of starting to lose it a little bit. So we see the documentary characters kind of on the side going like, should we intervene? What should we do? So there's multiple levels of like how you could approach the genre explored in this one film. And I just think it's packaged together really well. And it's got some really scary imagery. It's just like very well done. Well, it sounds like uh, a fun concept having movies essentially all the way down. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I really love whenever found footage movies are able to kind of take and take apart and explore like the the different uh, levels of media we're surrounded mm-hmm. by because because it's it's something that, that's very easy to take for granted. How in a day you fate you pass through so many different types of both media you're choosing to participate in and just surveillance yes yeah so and each each of the interacting with each of those uh different layers like requires different things of you different layers of consent and it affects you in a different way that's why i love like even really old stuff like the the last broadcast which i i finally had an opportunity to watch now that's on shutter like that's a movie that goes through like a cable access show a documentary, even court footage that's been you know, edited after the fact. And it, it makes you think of how many different ways we're being manipulated just in following a single story, which is even worse now uh, that we have exactly. things like you know, the Netflix true crime machine. We have like so many podcasts about 
uh, uncovering real life horrors, which are themselves like dramatized to a certain extent and, and sensationalized. Like, I really love uh, found footage, footage's ability to make us think about, like, like, just who is showing me this story? Why am I being shown this footage? Like, what, what is this supposed to mean? Yes. I think that's a really important question to be asking when you're watching a found footage movie. Like, who put this together in the way I'm watching it now? And sometimes that question can take me out of it if I don't believe anybody would have put it together that way. Shout out to every scene with somebody peeing. Like, <laughs> nobody's purposely, like, nobody's finding footage and putting that in your movie for no reason. But, like, you, like, it can be a really, um, like, in Paranormal Activity, they do this thing at the beginning where there's this, like, opening shot where they say, we want to thank the family members of Katie and Mika. And so you're thinking about the people who might watch this video are people who knew the victims, and the people involved, and telling them the story so they can have closure. That's a very different sort of feeling than the Poughkeepsie tapes, where you're watching this footage of someone who was taping himself do horrible, horrific things. That's just a really different vibe. So like, there's a lot of different reasons found footage could be put together in different ways that tell different kinds of scary stories. I think it's just such a rich question to ask is who put this together? and Why are we watching it? Well, to go off the idea of why are they still recording? Cause that's the number one thing people <laughs> complain about on these yes. films. Why is it, why is the camera still on? And they have to come up with all sorts of excuses. And I would say some of the poorer ones where they make a big deal out of it because they know they're going to be taking a task. Something like, uh, has everyone seen Dead, uh, Deadstream yet? Yes. Yes. Okay, great. I can I can be open on this then. Uh, something like Deadstream has a built-in excuse why they record the entire time. He's trying to you know put on a stream. So he has to be mounted with tons of cameras. There's got to be cameras everywhere. So you don't have to stop and explain why he's still recording. It's part of his shtick. Uh, and to go to back to your idea of multiple realities kind of in the film, I don't know if anyone else felt this way while watching Deadstream, but the entire time I'm watching it thinking, okay, so this is just another one of his pranks and oh, this sorry. is his most involved one yet. But the nice thing is they never say that outright, like, oh, it's all faked. It's it's not like one cut of the dead where you know the other side by the time it's done. So it's kind of fun because you get to watch it and think, okay, how would they pull this off? How are they fooling the audience this way? How are they sneaking the movie together? Yeah, it could have been. It could have been a prank and we would never know. <laughs> Plus, as a bonus to them, if you think of it that way, it excuses any special effect that's not a thousand percent great. Like exactly. <laughs> yes. Which the effects were the monsters in that movie were excellent. I thought that was a like just an awesome example of independent filmmaking. Oh, that yeah. pop in particular was awesome. Yeah. It's it's got that wonderful Evil Dead Two energy, which is what everyone yeah. says, but I think everyone's right. <laughs> I think yeah, they say it, it is. No, it's true. it's perfectly evil dead too it's found footage yeah. evil dead too and that's why everyone's taken to it <laughs> plus i would say it's a great example of when you have a focal character that isn't necessarily likable uh but it doesn't turn you off from the film uh personal opinion here would be dash cam didn't work for me at all because i just detest the main character so much so this was a great turn where you can still have someone who's unlikable but it makes the story work yeah the thing about dash cam for me that was hard was like um, it feels a little too soon, a little too close to home. 
for me, I'm not saying like for the world, like it shouldn't exist or something, but I didn't have fun with that movie because I can still like open my window and look out and see people acting the way, <laughs> you know, that main <laughs> yeah. character acts. And I was like, I'm not ready for this level it's not, of humor it, yet. It, it's not no. fun to have like, a, 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 a that's not even a deconstruction, but a, right. a showing of that when that's just real life, dude. Yeah. And it's right. not like an EC comics tone where the person who's being a jerk gets their comeuppance in the end. This person, I don't think, learns anything from the experience. It's mostly just supposed to be a thrill ride, but yeah. it's not fun. <laughs> not for me. Like, I think it was successful at what it was trying to do. And what it was trying to do was just not for me. I think that's where I settled with it. Because obviously it worked for a lot of other people who really enjoyed it. And I'm like, okay, I can just <laughs> move on. Yeah, I was I was so disappointed because I absolutely loved Host and I had really high expectations. Yeah. <laughs> Host is amazing and I bought Dashcam, like I bought a physical copy of it because I didn't know like where I was going to be able to watch it mm-hmm. and I was like I'm sure I'm going to love it and then I was like dang it, now I own this movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. I made a trip to Walmart for nothing. Now I have this DVD. <laughs> right. Not that I have a problem with having another DVD in my collection, but I just wonder if I'll ever watch it again. Time will tell. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, maybe maybe years from now I can go back and revisit and I'll, I'll be more positive. But for right yeah. now, it was a shame watching Dashcam thinking, oh, I, this is not for me. Yeah. And then watching Deadstream and going, this is exactly what I wanted out of that other movie. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yes. I think I think that's kind of a problem you run into with found footage maybe than uh, any other subgenre in horror is you do have that risk of hitting way too soon with something whenever you're trying to go for the go for the jugular and hit people where they live at that moment because it's one thing to see a certain character or a certain situation that you're familiar with recreated in a you know a, a regular film but seeing raw footage of that like sometimes i can make that just a little too real yeah, for me, there's nothing like in terms of movies, there's no scarier movie than a scary found footage movie, because if it's done well, you feel like you're in it. Oh, yeah. That that was the main thing I loved about Frankenstein's Army, because it's just oh, yeah. it's a silly movie, but it's also <laughs> one that gets me like really excited because it feels like you're on a funhouse ride. You're, yeah, you're in that experience. Ride. I've not seen that. I'm putting it on the letterbox list right now. Oh, it oh, is it's... so fun. It's just a oh, Wolfenstein God. movie. It's great. Yes. Essentially, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, Frankenstein's army. It's going Not to be confused with Army of Frankenstein's, which <laughs> I see that we've which been which came we... out the same year. Yeah, yep. they're yeah. right next to each other at my family video. I remember as a kid, I was super confused. It's really funny, <laughs> <laughs> but okay. I'm, I'm more of a fan of kind of those uh, funhouse found footage films, like the VHS films. To me, particularly trip my trigger, especially the last two that Shutter's put out, mm-hmm. uh, VHS yeah. 95 and 99. Yeah, I liked both of those a lot as well. Um, the original VHS, I don't like very much. Like I remembered liking it more than I do. And then I rewatched it recently and I was like, huh, I didn't really love that. But the last two have been amazing. Yeah. I, it's been forever since I've seen the original. So I'm just going to leave that one a good memories just in case. Just but, leave uh, it, yeah. Just let it be a good memory. Yeah, I don't remember I, the second I, one at all. I really like the second two. one has some good yeah, parts. Two I've gone okay. back and rewatched a lot. I did recently go back and, and rewatch one because of my excitement over 99 and yeah i, I kind of agree it, I, it i like the last one that's it that's about it, it went movie. from that was pretty good to that was fine well there, there's that one segment that always comes to mind in, in vhs1 that really drags the whole thing down where it's like the one non-supernatural entry and oh, it just Ty turns West out to one? be 
Yeah, the Ty West. Which and I love Ty West, so <laughs> I was so disappointed. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. So that's in the first VHS, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's if I remember correctly. I think it's the only entry in the film that doesn't hinge on like exploiting to and lying to women. I could probably be wrong about the first that. one. Yeah, the first one is the succubus section. Hmm. So yep. that's definitely that. Uh, what else is in that one? Is that the one with the slasher remember. who lives in like static yeah, from the video yeah. frames? Yes, that and the final one is the one with the house with the uh, with the girl being sacrificed, which is the only time in that entire anthology movie a man does the right thing. <laughs> Says, right. "Oh, we have to go yes. back for." It's like, wow, there's one decent person in this. It's I will weird say, that if you I noticed to, that. If you want to do like a gender analysis, the original VHS film is right there waiting for it. There's a lot to unpack, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I just was kind of like, I wouldn't have noticed this when I first watched it. And I absolutely notice it now. Well, anyway, kind of sorry not to be the bummer. It's no, kind no, of no, creepy, no. though, when you, uh, when you stop and think, oh, none of those filmmakers knew what each one was making. <laughs> that just happened. That but, uh, is kind of wild. Going Going back to the idea of, I guess found footage being as a, a way to extra torture women. I, I always think of the Blair Witch Project and Heather gets put through the ringer, particularly back because she's the one with the camera. So everyone is suffering in that movie, the other two guys as well. But since the camera's right on her, the audience gets a, a really sharp focus on how miserable she is. She also gets that moment where she's off by herself, confessing to the camera and her eyes are running. And, you know, it was the big parody point of us. Uh, I think it was a scary movie one, you know, the actor yeah. has all the, the snot coming out their nose, just kind of laugh at it. But the same thing happened in the sequel Blair Witch too, right? Like the 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 final girl really gets put through the ringer compared to everybody else. She has her claustrophobic experience going through that tunnel. She has to watch all of her friends being murdered and she's just crying into camera for, you know, a good 40 minutes of that movie. Yeah. So I have a lot of feelings about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Blair Witch Project is my favorite movie of all time. And Full so stop? I Yep, just like point blank period, favorite movie. Um, and try as I might, I just don't really enjoy the 2016 sequel. I really, really wanted to like it. And I thought I would yeah. kind of like whatever it was, but it just didn't work for me. Um, but the ending sequence does have some good scares in it. I, I um, forced my parents to really go with me to an Alamo about. draft house. So they didn't. <laughs> they don't like horror movies, and I made oh, them go boy. to the Alamo draft house and sit there. And they got done, and they're both like, we have headaches, we hate this. Why did you do this to us? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but so, uh, Mike, I cut you off. Oh, now I cut you off. Go, oh. go ahead. Go ahead, Mike. Oh, no. I was just saying um, the, the, the ending of Blair Witch is like really well constructed, even though I still kind of have issues with it more from like a storytelling perspective. I'm baffled by Blair Witch. I mean, it's cool. People who like it and people who really like it are. I'm glad you got something out of it, but right. the, I'm frustrated by it. Because it seems to, I remember listening to the commentary and, and hearing them talk about how they were really trying to figure out how to do a found footage movie because they hadn't done one before. Mm -hmm. And I feel that watching it, 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 it makes yep. so many mistakes that seasoned filmmakers like them should not have been making. It's it just really basic stuff. And it, it's stuff that you wouldn't have seen in the original Blair Witch, despite it being, you know, the the progenitor so there's just all these like tonal mistakes and and a lot of uh found footage tropes that hadn't really been in found footage movies in like 10 plus years at that point 
Yeah. And something that really bugs me in newer found footage movies is when they go bananas with all the different cameras. Yeah. (laughs) Because I'm like, did somebody really find all of this footage and put it together chronologically? (laughs) They all had timestamps. There was a time codes I could follow from the drone footage, the ear cam, the uh, vest cam, the camcorder. There's so many cameras and it would actually be really interesting. Like if they shot a bunch of stuff and then just like, didn't put in all of the footage from one of the cameras, like that would be a really interesting found footage movie. It would be really confusing for the audience potentially, <laughs> but it would be more believable. Cause it'd be like, Oh, that camera got destroyed or was never recovered. But you're telling me in the 2016 Blair witch that all those drones and GoPros and what have you, were all recovered and put together perfectly. Like as a found, it maybe just don't make it a found footage movie if that's what you want to do. All that drone yeah, footage I, I that was, was in there because they had access to drones. <laughs> right, gotta have your drone shots. Serve no purpose. Oh if I can, no, if I can defend the movie for one minute because I am a fan. Please do. Yes. Please all right. Do. All right. The drone. I, I admit. The extra drone footage is mostly there to like increase production value, you know, give some nice shots of the woods. But there is the sequence where the drone gets stuck in a tree and a a character goes after it, which granted probably a silly use of time considering they're all panicking about dying in the woods. But (laughs) I think we've all been there where we've been in a tree just thinking like, oh boy, I'm going to fall. And actually going through that when a character plummets out of the tree and then gets dragged out of frame, that was a a good exclamation point moment for me. Uh, Maybe a little overwrought, sure, I'll give you that, but still fun. Yeah, I'll agree that that is a fun sequence of scares. Although in that Uh, part, it did drive me crazy because they couldn't turn the drone off before they tried to rescue it. So the whole time thinking like, they're going to cut a thumb off. The blades are still going. Why are they doing this? No, the damage to the drone. (sighs) So frustrated with that dang drone. (laughs) well let's maybe we should go back to the blair witch uh the original here because it it seemed like you had some thoughts to share on that movie and hopefully Um, i think we're all on the same page of not being mad at it i hope not um (laughs) so i don't i I don't know if if you've listened to like other stuff i've talked about like maybe you've heard me tell this story before but um i was 12 when the blair witch project came out and i didn't know anything about it and my dad and my older brother we're like, get in the car, we're going to the movies. And they just took me to this movie and I didn't know what it was or what I was seeing or why or how. And I was like, so scared and confused. And I was just like, what the hell did I just watch? Because the concept of found footage was brand new to me. I didn't know about anything like that. And so in my head, I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure my dad wouldn't take me to actually watch some people die, but I don't know what else this could be. Some people share their first beer with their kids. Some people take them their first snuff film. (laughs) I mean, families are different. So I was just like, I, I can't, I don't know what this is. So like the whole car ride home, they were trying to explain to me. And I don't think we had the term found footage yet, or at least I don't remember us using that term in the car. Uh, but they were like, no, it's, it's a movie. It's just a movie. They're actors. And I just like, couldn't wrap my head around it. Um, so I loved that feeling. I loved how scared, but also safe I was. And I've been chasing that for since then. Um, and like, so as a kid, I was just like, this is really scary. And I love it. We, and like, <laughs> As an adult, going back to it, I mean, it still scares me, I, That especially that final shot. But I also really connect with Heather a lot because, like, 
in the first part of the movie, she has to work so hard to get Mike and Josh to listen to her. You know, she's the director, but they're like not really taking her direction at that well. And she has to be the one who's like keeping them on track. But they, when she asks them for help, they opt out of responsibility enough so that they can blame her later. When she's like, hey, you guys, what way do you think we should go? They're like, you're the director, you decide. So it's like, they don't want to listen to her or listen to her like when it only when it's convenient for them so that later they can say this is all your fault. And so I actually get really sad when she blames herself in the camera because I'm like this isn't all your fault Heather. Like yes it's your project but like you know <laughs> um Mike kicked the map in the river. <laughs> Like, let's talk about that for it a second. It was useless. <laughs> well, apparently. So I just, I, and then, you know, for so many years after that, the conversations around the Blair Witch Project were, oh, Heather's such a bitch. She got them all killed. She's so screechy. She's screeching harpy. Like, just really awful misogynistic terms around Heather. When really, I think it's what was said earlier about the fact that she's the one holding the camera. So she's the one we're with most of the time. And she goes from, you know, trying to shout to be heard to being blamed for everything. It's almost like, so I have this idea that like, you know, the town blamed all of its problems on this Blair Witch that probably didn't exist. And just sort of using this woman as a scapegoat. But they kind of do the same thing to Heather and they kind of make her the Blair Witch when they put all the blame on her, even though the blame could be placed elsewhere. Um, anyway, yeah, uh, those those are my thoughts about the Blair Witch Project. Uh, that's a very interesting take. That's a, something that's never really occurred to me. But yeah. yeah, that is all over that movie. Also, ima- I'm sorry, but imagine watching that movie and thinking Heather's the one who keeps yelling. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> And then, then you, like, factor into, like, what's going on, like, on the actual, like, quote-unquote set of that movie, where a lot of that stuff is kind of happening to for real to the actor who's playing Heather. So it's a weird yeah. mm-hmm. instance of life imitating art, which, and the those two things giving uh, back and forth. Mm-hmm. A unintentional witch allegory happened. Yeah. Yep. And, um, you know, Heather Donahue, who plays Heather Donahue, she was the only woman on set most of the time, too. So, like, she had to be feeling that. I've never heard her say that. And, you know, she hasn't done a ton of interviews, but I've never heard her say that. But I just have to imagine, like, that had to be a factor in 1999 or 98 when they were shooting it. Oh, yeah. I remember as a kid even being kind of surprised that the main character of the movie was a female student filmmaker because even that like seemed like kind of new and not something like we were used to at the time so the the thing that really gets me though about the blair witch project is i i have friends who aren't big horror people uh, but they will tell me the blair witch project is one of the movies they don't want to watch because they saw it as a kid and it still makes them afraid of the woods it's it's in my mind it's the uh for people from the 90s it's their version of the exorcist it's that movie that yeah. everyone kind of has that reputation against i think that that's true um and also like the exorcist you'll probably be okay if you do decide to watch it you know like <laughs> i love the exorcist and it does still scare me to this day i accidentally watched it when i was eight and that was traumatizing but like <laughs> now I, I it's like 
my mom has a story about going to the drive-in to see the exorcist in the seventies and being terrified. But like, as she watches it now, it's not as scary to her. So if you're out there and you're afraid to watch the Blair Witch Project, you should do it. You'll be okay. Totally fine. Well, I think it's different now too, because part of the big draw of that movie was right. Not understanding what its deal was. It was a pioneer. Uh, It also had that amazing tie in marketing that that if you didn't know any better could kind of trick you into buying into all the lore that was happening in this film and it was that really amazing a, documentary yeah came out yeah, which is on as, as a kid i didn't get to go see it in theaters but i was able to watch that documentary like my parents recorded on vhs and later watch this while they went to go see the real movie so i i got to watch that and just imagine what the blur which project was my my parents uh were going to take me but honestly the uh, commercials for it kind of freaked me out so i'm not watching it <laughs> i just like it was on the table though yeah Meanwhile, I I don't know what series events led to this, but I distinctly remember watching that for the first time with my parents on a bootleg VHS, so it looked shittier. <laughs> that should be the special edition of the Blair Witch. They they exactly. like purposely run it through five more VHS tapes. Oh yeah. I feel like I got the I got the primo experience there. Yeah. I don't know if anyone's looked at the DVD of the Blair Witch recently. I rewatched this uh yesterday. And it has, in my mind, the most frustrating special features menu in the world because they applied the found footage aesthetic to the names of the special features. <laughs> what are so they? Cl- I have the Blu-rays. I think they might be named differently. Oh, oh man. I'm trying to think what it was. So it, it doesn't say like audio commentary. It says like audio features, but it, it's in like – it's an animated form. So the letters keep fading uh, in and out. So you have a hard time reading what the hell they're trying to tell you it is. And it's a phrase no one thinks about, like, what is, what is an audio feature? And you click it and it's like, you want the commentary or not? <laughs> oh and there's a couple boy. things like that. I think they have the documentary on there, too. And they're just not named the way you'd expect them to be. I don't know if it was because DVD was still fairly new in 1999 or, or they yeah. were just really going hard on uh, the aesthetic. But it's like, man, this sucks. I don't know what I'm actually clicking on right now. I, I love how much budget was put into the menus of DVDs back then. There was part yes. of the the overall feature of of buying this Cadillac of home <laughs> video experiences, and now it's like the default uh, burner outlook on like Sony Vegas. Oh man, I'm so glad we're talking about this because <laughs> I, I really feel strongly about DVD menus, which isn't a sentence I ever thought I'd say, but like. <laughs> People who grew up with streaming don't know the Wild West that DVD special features and the menus were because they figured out that they could really cheaply add just a bunch of stuff. They could just like dump stuff onto a DVD, call it a special feature, and we would pay more for it. And they already had all this stuff laying around anyway. And then they'd give it a wicked menu and you would like put the DVD on at your sleepover, fall asleep, wake up in the middle of the night, the menu's still playing, you don't turn it back off, you know, like it just plays for six hours. You hear the Indiana Um, Jones themes for like eight hours in a row. And do you all remember the, um, like the anti-theft, anti-piracy? Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah, those were the days. (laughs) <laughs> I got remember have I will always associate the Julianne Moore thriller The Forgotten with being the movie that's at the beginning of the Hellboy DVD. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That's the only reason I remember that movie, which no one liked when it came out. I really remembered, but it will always be the the prelude to Hellboy forever. <laughs> it's stuff like that. 
that uh, it's little things like that 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 aren't there with streaming. Yeah, today's kids will never know losing an entire <laughs> afternoon to the Monty Python and the Holy Grail special features. Well, right? okay, so Jamie, didn't you and Mike watch like Halloween two that had like all the original nineteen eighties commercials included in it this year for Halloween? Oh, uh, it was a uh, Halloween, yeah, Halloween four. four. Oh, Halloween four with like it does all exist, the original I think, broadcast for Halloween two though. Um, yeah, it actually does because uh, I think that has like some of the added other stuff, and there, there's a TV edit of the first one too. Um, yeah, it wasn't like an actual like original broadcast, but it was a reconstruction of like what the broadcast was for the most part. Apparently, it is fairly close because I, I would cool. I would think that'd be the best experience. I would buy those special edition DVDs if they put out movies from like the 90s that were recorded off of cable. So I'm you so get all the commercials, like the, the station mark included. at the bottom, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, they do that for old, like, boomer television collections where they'll show, like, the yeah. end. Like, you can buy, like, a like a whole day's worth of broadcasting with, like, commercials and stuff <laughs> added in. They, they would be printing money if they released that for our generation. If you yep. did that for, like, Ah, Real Monsters, I would, I'd be, I'd be there. I'd just be throwing I money at my I want Saturday morning cartoon blocks. The actual ones. I remember one Saturday morning. Now we're all just reminiscing. <laughs> That's it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm just thinking back like when I was a kid. We're like, playing the one Saturday morning theme in our head. Exactly. Does anyone else Saturday have the taste of Captain Crunch in their mouth right now for some reason? <laughs> like blood? Captain Crunch and blood because it cut up your mouth? <laughs> yeah. <sighs> ah, memories. I'm glad somebody else doesn't like Captain Crunch. Oh, same. Those things. Oh, I'm good. an oops all berries girl myself. <laughs> did I? Did I invite all of you guys on the show just so you could dogpile on my like Blair Witch and flakes. Captain Crunch opinions? cornflakes. <laughs> Fine, more for me. Harum. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> so Mike only eats those flavorless bran flakes that they gave to mental patients in the 40s. <laughs> well, this will I keep the impure the thoughts myself. away. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna rein us in because I I won't hear any more Captain Crunch slander. Uh, hey man, my own house, no less. Eat, if you want to eat razor blades, that is your business. I, I actually particularly like to dry. No milk for me. That was the way to go. Oh, extra crunch. What is happening? Okay, There's sorry. more Lisa. hair than right. cereal you know, in those little clusters. You know, no, I said no more slanders, right? <laughs> All right, so anyway, this, is, this was this was this was a, uh, my segue back to the found footage world. It's it's not a substantial subject, but it's one I've been thinking about for a while. A couple of years back, they announced they were toying with the idea of doing a Friday the Thirteenth in a found footage style back when it was a bigger fad. Right. And I've always wondered. I don't think it worked for Friday the Thirteenth, but there's there's got to be like one of the big franchises where found footage would totally be a great fit. And in my mind, it was it, it, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I can't believe they haven't done oh, yeah. this. So yeah. now every time they re- roll out like another uh, so-so Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I'm just thinking like you could have paid a guy like two thousand dollars, given him a really bad DVR, and just throw him in the woods, and I bet he could have come up with something better. I just wanted to quickly ask, um, why wouldn't it work for a Friday the Thirteenth movie? I I kind of feel like it would work well for that. So I'm curious why why it would. You would have There's the just summer about... camp idea of someone filming. <laughs> There's just. So in my mind, I went towards Texas Chainsaw Massacre because that one's always had the kind of grittier feel, you know, like yeah. a, even in the first one, the camera's right up in, in characters' faces and it just feels uncomfortable. And I think that lends itself to the filming style you could have if someone just had a camera in their hands that are running through the woods. Friday the 13th, I don't know. It's 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 a little bit more slick than that. I know they're low budget films, but it's always felt like it's had a slightly more polish to it. So in my mind, it's just the two don't necessarily connect. I don't have a great strong reasoning, 
just instinctively, I go, mm, I don't know if that's a good fit. Oh, but imagine the found footage sequence sequence of like finding Jason's shack with his mother's head there. Release it as a VR experience. I want to. I want to go through this. <laughs> I just want to see the GoPro strapped to Jason's head, so you just watch him. <laughs> oh God, that would be so sad. It's like why he's turned away. You strap a GoPro to him. He doesn't know. What does Jason do? This is like, zombie Jason just walking through the What does Jason woods? do all day? And it turns out he just stares at his mother's head. That's gonna be the, uh, we hear Jason cry. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Well, as long as we all agree, it would not make any type of sense in a uh, Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. <laughs> they're in their the dreams the and they're still dreaming. <laughs> That's when it would go sci-fi, though. I'd be for it. Hold and, up. And no, you, here's the idea. It's a YouTuber dreaming about making YouTube videos in their dreams. <laughs> it's okay, the you worst know what? entry. I'm in. Let's do, let's do it. I'm. I'll watch it. I'll buy the DVD. I'll watch the DVD menu. Let's go. The the met, the bar has been so low. I think on the Friday the Thirteenth series, or not Friday. I'm sorry. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Right. Like after Freddy's Dead, you could screw around. We're gonna take it. It's something new. It's been a while. Do it in 3D again. 3D found yeah. footage. So, think, have you guys seen found footage 3D? I have. Honestly, I started it and I fell asleep during part of it. Not to blame okay. the movie, I just started very late at night, and I never came back to refinish it. So I, I don't even remember most of the plot. I really like it. Um, it is, I mean, it's comedy. Mm-hmm. It's So the premise of the movie is there is a guy who has a lot of money who fancies himself a filmmaker, which I guess makes you a filmmaker, and he wants to shoot the first 3D found footage movie. Like, that's his goal. <laughs> and so he has... Um, professionals that he hires to help him make this movie and they're kind of like this doesn't make sense why what's why would a found footage movie be in 3d like how are you going to explain this and the whole thing's just kind of ridiculous but um it starts to become a scary movie when things start to happen right Mm -hmm. so uh i actually think it's really super well done and very funny and like very much for fans of found footage who want to kind of poke at it a little bit and and you know know where they can take a ribbing it's it's a good one last i i originally tried watching it. i think it was on shutter so i have to double check to see if it's still on there yeah it should be in the movie the the name of the film they're making is called specter of death And I want a Spectre of Death t-shirt so bad. And I can't find them. And someone must make them. And, like, if you're out there and you have a hookup to a Spectre of Death t-shirt, hit me up because I really want one. Just in case, (laughs) if if this is no longer on Shutter, I just looked it up. Amazon's got copies of Found Footage 3D for $13. There you go. I just love that that Found Footage has been around long enough at this point that it has genre convection. Uh, genre conventions and tropes that can be made fun of in a film like that. Like we were talking a little bit, like uh, comparing uh, found footage movies to slashers earlier, uh, with how you know the, the perceived notion of there being a lot of tropes and a formula they all follow. I, I love that we've reached a point of ubiquity where found footage it there are enough found footage movies for people to be familiar with what to expect from them, which is something that filmmakers can now use against the audience. Mm -hmm. I think we talked about it a little bit uh, in our first found footage episode. The most shocking thing as above, so below does is have a a very satisfying ending where the characters get away. Oh yeah. I forgot that one. That totally goes against my point at the start of the episode. But that it's the exception that proves the rule, right? Because yeah. normally that is what we expect going into a found footage movie. So 
they the fact that they can subvert a trope that there are tropes to subvert yeah i mean it's a testament to the filmmaking style that is found footage i didn't realize until as above so below that something so much found footage loses out on uh by going down that and then everybody dies at the end route is because of like the, there's the more veil of realism because it's found footage and the way you're kind of pulled into what the characters are going through much more than you would in a, in a normal film because your brain just goes into like you're like watching a documentary no matter what when the, everyone dies and it you you are literally watching found footage it completely robs you the audience of like uh emotional finality it doesn't it it doesn't it doesn't erase what you just watched but there is something like you didn't follow the with along with the characters like it literally just ended when it cut the black and i think that it, like that could be a style of storytelling that doesn't work for some people or like doesn't work all the time um like I, I have a friend who, anytime I recommend a movie to her, she's like, "Does the ending make sense? Are they going to explain everything?" And I half the time I'm like, "No." Um, and so like some people just want their stories to be certain ways. That's fine. Um, I really don't mind if it's done well. Like at the end of the Blair Witch Project, we get no closure on those characters, and I love it. And even the lore in that one is left pretty open-ended because you have oh, a couple yeah. of different pieces that are suggested as they're they're starting the movie and talking about making the documentary, but they, they never really put it together pat for you. I think right. that would be the biggest barrier to entry for a lot of folks when they come to found footage. One, because it's found footage, you, you are intrinsically linked to an unreliable narrator. You're only getting the footage that they have recovered, right? So right. It's it's not like a normal film where they could have five cameras covering everything and they can show you little inserts so you know something the characters don't. You get so few glances a lot of times and you have to figure out the lore on your own. Yeah. Or not. Or not. Yeah, um, you can just roll with the experience. There was a movie that came out, I think just last year, from Latvia called Land of Blue Lakes. Did you guys see that one? I heard no, of it. I haven't I seen, seen that either. That. Okay. I think it was I think I had to rent it. Um well, I certainly won't spoil it for you. But um, I do think, like, I think it's okay to say, like, that's a film that leaves some things open-ended. And I really like the way they do that. And if a film can make you think it's going to be one thing, and then it becomes something else, uh, whatever that thing it became could potentially be scarier. Um, another movie that does that well, I think, is Webcast. If you guys have seen that one. You're oh, just striking out left and right here. No, that's okay. Um, <laughs> I highly recommend Webcast. That one should be on Prime. That is, uh, that one's actually sort of like a live streamed one about a young woman who's trying to investigate her aunt going missing, and it just goes in a bunch of bananas directions you don't expect. Mm -hmm. um, I hope it's not a spoiler to say that. If it is, uh, erase your brains. Okay. <laughs> I think I think we've established on the show before that uh, spoilers. Who cares? We can. We can okay. We'll be fine. Still, I left. I mean, definitely watch webcast. Um, yeah, that one's a good one. So maybe in a slightly different direction, but it just reminds me. I, I love the amount of found footage films that have come out recently that are hinged on the technology available for filming. So you have something like Searching or you have even going way back uh, to like uh, the Collinswood story, you know, where, okay, how are we going to film this? We have to make this unique. What's a new technology we're using to record right now? Everything's going to be on that specific thing or yep. a host where it's through a Zoom conference. Like I, I love the extra restrictions 
that applies to the format and the creativity that it really generates. Yes, um, especially with host, the way I mean, it wasn't exactly a forty-minute Zoom call, but it it gives you the I think it's like an hour. It feels like hey, your Zoom call is going to end, and then it does, and it's like that is so scary. Um, so I thought, and I might be wrong on this. I thought they actually timed that out to be fifty-six minutes long because yeah. that was as long as a Zoom call could be at the time they filmed it. Yeah, so okay. yeah. it was like That's the exact cool. length of a Zoom call. So it was kind of an Easter egg for people that were you know, stuck doing Zoom meetings during uh, COVID. Awesome. Um, another movie I think of that I think uses a technology like of the time really well is The Den. Um, it doesn't say the words chat roulette, but do you guys remember chat roulette? Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, a weird one to explain to kids one day. Like, oh, you just go on to meet strangers Omega and you probably see something exists. awful. Does it? Yeah. Somehow. Okay. okay. You know what? There's different. Everybody's got different. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to make it okay. If you like chat roulette, have a wonderful time. But the Enjoy movie, the yeah, sure, yeah. Um, I think it's from 2013, which would have been like just slightly after chat roulette was like at its peak, as far as I remember. Um, but it's about a graduate student who's doing research on like making connections through a service like that. And then obviously it turns into a found footage movie. But it's kind of like, OK, let's take this thing that is a cultural phenomenon with technology at this time. How can we make that into like, let's exploit the fears around that, like the fears around chat roulette and the things we worry about about chat roulette. Let's make that into a scary movie. I think yeah. that was well done. Well, that's it's such a great opportunity when you have these movies that are hinged on a technology because there's, there's a kind of a zeitgeist that goes with them. So you've got a built-in theme you can export and it's like, come on, it should hopefully write itself. Yeah. Yeah, it's easy to forget just that even that, like the older like proto found footage stuff like mockumentaries like uh, Man Bites Dog and uh, Cannibal Holocaust, even that was mm -hmm. playing with fears and concerns about where the culture and technology was going. I mean, Cannibal Holocaust exists because of a lot of really exploitive, uh, let, let's photograph the quote unquote natives and make them look right. savage documentaries that were going on in Europe at the time. I mean, it, it's as much problematic stuff as, it, as is in Cannibal Holocaust itself. Like it, it's also important to remember like, oh, there was really bad stuff being done with those kinds of documentaries for real at the time. Like even even something yeah. like that had like a conscience to and it was playing on people's fear of what uh, was a very like, was very new technology. It's very true. And we roll our eyes at it now. But the last line of that movie being like, you know, wondering who the real monsters are like that had to be impactful at the time in the context of we're framing other people as monsters, but we're doing monstrous things like now it sounds silly, but I don't think it probably did at the time. Every cliche had to start somewhere. I mean, we were yes. talking about The Exorcist earlier. It's like, yeah. like the, one of the reasons that movie is so terrifying when you're a child is whenever you actually believe that, that Satan is real and is a thing that could potentially exist and strike you, that movie is absolutely terrifying. Well, and, and as a kid, you probably see it before you've seen the 40,000 knockoffs that have used the exact same formula. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's what was so terrifying when that was a drive-in movie. That's why, you know, stuff like that becomes the talk of a nation is whenever it hits on a very specific fear that's very of that time. Kind of like whatever's going on with Terrifier 2 right now. 
Yeah, I have not had a chance to see that yet, but I cannot wait because that that movie is really hitting a a nerve with people that I did not expect. Yeah, I enjoyed it personally, but uh, I'll leave it at that. It, I mean, everybody's coming out of the woodwork to talk about Terrifier too. It feels like a cultural event for some reason. I'm so happy this is happening. If you had told me a year ago that Terrifier and Smile would be like the big horror movies in a year, I would not have believed it. Especially the same year Halloween Ends comes out and they're like, no, 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 we want, we want Smile. And uh, Scream 5. Yeah. Scream 5 did pretty <laughs> good. I, I, I think a lot of us were year. not sure how oh, that was going to It has been a busy year. It has been. Yeah. Well, it came out the first start of the year. But yeah, the Terrifier 2 thing is amazing to me because uh, coworkers who aren't movie people at all – they they ping me one day to be like, hey, what's the movie that's making everyone throw up? And I'd be like, oh, Terrifier 2. Wait, yeah. who told you about Terrifier 2? How did this come up in your conversation, your daily stand-up meeting? <laughs> right. It's like, where'd you learn this? Where'd you yeah, find who, this? Who told you, you that word? This. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, <laughs> it's like the Christmas where everyone saw Bird Box at the same time, but it's a yeah. killer clown movie that's a hard R. <laughs> yep. like two and a half hours long like everything about it seems like it should scare off people that are not diehard horror fans so i'm i'm astounded it's made something like what 10 million dollars and it was also available on streaming during a majority of that time yeah that's absolutely insane yeah there, there's been a lot of like uh concern over how much you know splitting things between a streaming release and, and a theatrical release can potentially uh damage a movie when it's something bigger when it's a terrifier two sized movie like the i think the best course of action is just make it available for literally anyone who wants to watch it that yeah. seems to not affect horror as much as it does other genres which i find fascinating yeah. well because we will like swim through broken glass to get to our horror movies nothing yeah. keeps them from us and teenagers want someplace dark to go to watch a scary movie <laughs> yes I will say, in, in defense of teenagers going to dark, scary places. <laughs> Don't defend uh, teenagers. I, normally, normally I'm, I'm an angry old man at the movie theater, like when kids are making noise. But uh, years ago, I went to go see Happy Death Day, and the entire theater was sold out with like 13-year-olds, because that movie was PG-13. And they had the time of their life. Like, it was, it was infectious how happy and excited and scared they were just watching that movie. They had an absolute blast. They were throwing popcorn in the air and screaming. And the whole time, like, oh, I've seen this jump scare like 50 times already. I don't – okay, they like it. Whatever. That would be fun. I, I think that would be good energy for that movie. It, it really helped. It was – I like that movie anyways watching it alone. But in that theater, yeah. it was like, wow, that bumped it a whole letter up. This was fantastic. I had the same experience with the sequel. Like, I – it was like – almost entirely 15-year-old girls, and seeing them go nuts for Tree and just deeply invested <laughs> in that story and scream when they're supposed to scream and laugh when they're supposed to laugh. That's one of the best uh, theater experiences I've had in the past few years. Oh, that's fun. I love that. <laughs> now I'm sad because I'm thinking of the last few movies I went to and there were like 10 people there, so none of it really played. Yeah, yeah. Or Jeepers Creepers Reborn, where they didn't have the movie. <laughs> What? Uh, I went to see Jeepers Creepers Reborn in the <laughs> so theater. I'm so glad you're telling us on the show. <laughs> yes. I, and I, I went in and the theater's pitch black. I sit down. I've ordered food because it's one of those theaters where you can like go pick up some chicken wings, go eat them in the theater. Yeah. Uh, nothing's happening. No previews are playing. I'm like, this is getting a little weird. I think they said what? it's supposed to start at 7 and it's Are a little past seven. 
this is just like a mostly sold out showing and there's a okay. bunch of kids in there and they are just losing their minds. Like they're screaming and hot hooting hollering like it was recess for them. And their parents are just like, we brought them here to shut them up, but we can't do anything about these kids. <laughs> so I'm, I'm panicking like my food's ready. So I, I run out of the theater, get the food, expecting them to start the movie, like without even any previews because it's so dark. I think there's just no pre-show. I get in there. They told me, oh, yeah, we, we didn't even put your food order in. We forgot. <laughs> so we'll we'll do that now. <laughs> what? So I run back to the theater thing like I'm gonna miss the start of the movie. I get there, it's still pitch black. It's now like 20 minutes past the opening of the movie, and I'm like, okay, something's wrong. Eventually, manager comes in and goes, Well, we don't know if it's gonna play today, so everyone stick around, we'll find out. 20 more minutes goes by before the guy finally comes in. He's like, Yeah, it's not working. Oh, it also didn't work yesterday, so it's not too big of a surprise to us. What? Right, and they have oh, like one show per no day. Yeah, the preview showing also didn't work. For some reason, they thought they were just going to get this one to magically work and didn't warn us that. So people I... sat around this dark theater for 40 minutes waiting for a movie. They had like one family minutes? was so mad because they ordered food for like five kids. Oh, and then no. it was just showing up oh. and being served to them in the dark. And they're just sitting there with hamburgers in a dark theater like, what are we supposed to do? Just eat these hamburgers in the dark and then go home? And they're like, yeah, well, we'll, we'll give you a refund if you want for the, for the movie. Not the food. Now. Oh, my God. Okay. I have so many questions. <laughs> That's like a social experiment. I know, right? So how long you'll stick around. Yeah, exactly. It turns out 40 minutes is Slowly uh, I have the no up. self-respect. And I, I even knew going in, it's it's cheaper keep creepers reborn. It's going to be awful. I don't know why sure, I thought this was a good I, plan. I go see awful movies. That part makes sense to me. I I got no problem with that. Like it's just crazy to me. I, I just I like I can't you <laughs> <laughs> I like, just broke my brain. This was uh, the the Marcus uh, Sun Prairie Theater. Just so you have a frame of reference. Okay, I know that Back theater. The yeah, I feel um, like uh, they should uh, not be that way. They should not. That's, well, that's and the funny thing was th that was like the third time I've been to that theater within a couple of months, where the theater just couldn't play the movie that day. <laughs> Why? Uh, I also went to go see Nope, and the same thing happened. Like, we're sitting around, and they're eventually like, oh, no, no, the whole theater's closed. Apparently, they got struck by lightning before Nope, though, so that's, that's why. Kidding me. That's made up. That's what I thought, but they, they, no one was getting into any of the movies. They said the entire theater was down. Then what, why are they taking people's money? Uh, that's a good Listen, question. this is poorly organized. This well, is the upsetting. funniest part to me was, so, so after Jeepers Creepers 3, I went on a discount Tuesday, because I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be cheap, and I get there. Oh, Five dollars. Uh, not for Jeepers Creepers, I'm sorry, I said three before, four, uh, because this was like a phantom Cineplex showing, they were charging $15. So I got oh. there and I'm already mad that it's like three times what I thought it was going to cost me. They forgot my food. <laughs> they canceled the movie after 40 minutes and they're like, oh, if you want to go see another movie, you can, and we won't charge you. I'm like, every other movie here is $5. You technically owe me $10 if I go to see yeah. another movie. <laughs> oh, it all got worked God. out eventually. What? I got like a free Bracket. ticket, but it is, yeah. So that was my boondoggle trying to see Jeepers Creepers. I don't remember how we got on the stangent, but uh, there I you go. I don't either, it. but I'm so happy we did because now my brain is broken. So th this <laughs> just all adds to my ongoing theory that bringing back Jeepers Creepers is one elaborate psyop. Yeah. I, think <laughs> I don't think the movie good. actually exists. Oh, it's, it's theoretically, I think, supposed to come out on Blu-ray like next Tuesday, isn't it? Yep. I think if you go on Amazon, you can pre-order a copy right now for something stupid like $25. You just open it up and there's a Polaroid of the director giving you a middle <laughs> finger. <laughs> I might deserve that if I buy Jeepers Creepers 4. Jamie, uh, I am 100% on board with this conspiracy. I'm about to dedicate all my time to it. <laughs> I mean, why this else This is would the they horror version of birds aren't real. Yeah. <laughs> 
and I'm here for it, quite frankly. <laughs> well, uh, to bring it a little bit back on topic, not that I would not talk about the Jeepers Creepers spiracy all night. <laughs> uh, I mentioned earlier, I finally got a chance to watch the last broadcast now that it's on Shudder which is the found footage horror movie that came out a year before the Blair Witch Project, but didn't really get any distribution. So it's kind of just, it's up until recently, it was mostly just a blip on the radar uh, for a lot of people, but it's been getting a lot of love lately, especially since a lot of people rediscovered it with that uh, found footage documentary Shudder released. Mm -hmm. And one thing that really struck me with that, I'm, I'm curious if you agree, Mike, did that movie accidentally create modern YouTube horror? It's more akin to that than anything else that existed either at the time or even immediately afterwards. It's um, especially the way that it plays with the Internet. It just doesn't have a way to like really play with recording from the Internet or anything like that. But it's um, I could actually easily see Marble Hornets being having seen that movie and been inspired by it in some way, because there are some interesting um, uh, cross threads between the two of them. That, that movie has something that a lot of current, like, analog horror does. That's really my favorite thing about the genre, which is the idea of a, of watching a bunch of loose facts and bits and pieces of a story assembled before your eyes and watching uh, all the puzzle pieces fall into place, which is something that it, I feel like is very specific of found footage and mockumentaries. Uh, the fourth kind is mm. uh, another favorite yeah. of mine. It's a little similar I that. Well, not strictly. A, the fourth kind. Oh, yeah. that that The fourth kind is one of the very few movies to actually scare me, like actually like raise my heart rate. It that is movie scary. Is horrifying. Yeah. Oh. And like going back to what we were talking about earlier, like with how at so few of these movies uh, allow you to like uh, allow the characters to to live on or give you a satisfying ending, and sometimes you know leaving things with like a bit of a cliffhanger is scarier. The fourth kind manages to do both, where the everyone is still alive and they have to deal with the horrors of what happens in the movie forever. And also, it ends on a like a giant uh, WTF, where you have you're not even entirely sure what you just watched. It's a movie that's made that that's fifty percent a a, doc, a false docudrama dramatizing the events that you also see in uh, in a found footage segment. But uh, what starts out as a fairly typical like. Uh, alien abduction story quickly becomes something far darker and almost Lovecraftian by you get yes. to, time you get to the end. When the credit, I remember the first time I watched that with the credits rolling, thinking, "Did I just watch a secret Elder Gods movie that's disguised as an alien invasion?" It's so good, and there's nothing like it. Yeah, and again, those questions have no answers. It raises so many deeply disturbing questions about what abduction could be, like what what even like our role in the universe is, and that answers absolutely none of them. Like I love that so much. I'm with you. I um I'm I'm kind of a controversial found footage fan because I don't really like the last broadcast. Um, but it is really cool that a lot of people are discovering it now on Shutter. 
and getting to watch this this you know kind of hidden gem that they've never got to see before so i'm not gonna like try to get other people to dislike it with me if they're having fun with it you know i think it would make uh this is the first time i'd seen it just funny i was on shutter this week i I think it would make a fun pairing with the blur witch project Mm -hmm. just because both of them kind of hint at mythology that's not really the focus of the film like Blair Witch Project to me is more about the psychological issues of trying to get through the woods with people that are falling apart. And the last broadcast is supposedly about the Jersey Devil. And then we quickly leave that like the Jersey Devil is not important to that film either. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of That's like that true. where there's a presented mythology and then we abandon it. Yeah. So rewatching last broadcast this morning, um, I I couldn't remember before we, we settled on rewatching it. Um, whether I had seen it previously, like a really long time ago. And I did remember shortly after it started, okay, totally saw this. I downloaded it off of LimeWire <laughs> long Ooh, before YouTube started. That's a deep cut. And um, I have to say, that experience watching a movie I'd only heard whispered about on forums, downloading off LimeWire, watching in the dark on a crappy laptop, was a better experience yeah overall uh last broadcast is fascinating but yeah it definitely is very it's warty let's put it that way it's warty but it's it's interesting it's super of its time there's one very specific thing that i won't say because it is a spoiler and i don't want to spoil it for anyone listening but like the problem i have with it is one thing that i can't get past um and I wish I could get past that thing because then I think I would appreciate it more, but I just can't. I can tell you all later off mic if you want to know. <laughs> oh, just <laughs> say, now I have to know. Just say it. I don't want to spoil it for any listeners. It's a box office pulp after dark. <laughs> yeah. So peak I, I want everyone at home to appreciate this is the one time we have concern for the audience not finding out spoilers. You're welcome. You have one person that's looking out for you. It's because I am so sensitive to spoilers. I will like dive across the room and smash my phone to avoid spoilers. So <laughs> I think I'm just projecting. Spoilers, spoilers. The broadcast dies. It is, in fact, the last broadcast. Oh, it could be. <laughs> what, uh, but uh, going off something uh, what Jamie was talking about, about uh, kind of analog horror in the internet. That's why I really loved the new influx of found footage flicks that focus on live streaming so much is mm-hmm. is live streaming has such um it's a different way of letting the events unfold where you can kind of have a real-time element to it very like softly but because it's a live stream it gives the main characters i think a little bit of an added energy because they're in host mode in some way so there's there's less i find there's less meandering i think you know, Deadstream obviously had that. That was a uh, comedy. What I really like is Gunzium, uh Haunted Asylum. Yes. That was, I mean, you know, it's up there with the, I, I actually like it more than Grave Encounters. And I fucking love Grave Encounters. But I agree on both. Yep. Like what they're and what they're able to do also with that um, unreliable narrator kind of thing, like the like kind of like that turn that happens in it is both brilliant just from like the story the characters are telling, but I also love how you've been treated to a facade for the most part through the beginning of the movie because they were in control of things. But now that there's just like live cameras you're viewing or there just happened to be recording all, all the time, you're able to actually uncover as to what's happening. And uh, also maybe one of the freakiest fucking scenes I've ever seen in a found footage flick, which is the, 
guy moving every time the camera turns away. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I love it so much. That movie does it perfectly. Um, the exciting things about live streaming are that anything can happen. Like the footage doesn't have to be found. The footage could get abducted into space, you yeah. know, whatever. Like it doesn't matter because it's a live stream. So like you can get out of some, you could take the places, the stories from different places and it taps into this fear that is a newer fear, like in history of what if I see something bad happen on the internet? Yeah. And yeah. it's, it, that's like a very real fear. And it tapping into that fear which we've talked about before like using the technology of the time and the way to make a scary movie and the fact that literally anything could happen i think live streaming horror movies should be some of the scariest when they're done well and gondium haunted asylum is just perfect there's also that added factor with new live stream horror that something i've never seen replicated anywhere else which is something that's obviously been on a lot of people's minds over the past couple of years which is the idea of being connected to more people than you could imagine while also being completely alone oh yeah that's so true which is that's something that's been very haunting about deadstream to me since watching it which is, like, obviously it's a very funny movie. It's very satirical. But there, there's something weirdly haunting about just thinking of that jackass running through that haunted house with thousands, if not millions of people watching him and trying yeah. to help. And he might as well be in a little pocket dimension. They might as well not be there at all. That's so scary and true. I hadn't really thought about it that way. Honestly, another movie that does that for me, which is also like a horror comedy, and I know this is a weird pull, but WNUF Halloween special, especially like yeah. towards the end where things where the feeling that something bad is about to happen really starts escalating in like the last 15 minutes or so. And despite that reporter being surrounded by people, like you're aware of that entire broadcast, if anything goes down, that dude is on his own. And it's him versus anything that's going to happen. Like Again, surrounded by people, but all alone at the same time. That seems to be something like found footage can do better than anything else. Yeah. I think because it is so immersive, you feel like one of the people who's watching, but knowing you can't do anything for that person gives you the feeling that no one else can either, maybe. Oh, yeah. So I like, like watching a tra like footage of uh, like car accidents moments before they happen. Right. To, to that end, Jamie, I don't know if you've seen We're All Going to the World's Fair yet, but I, I think oh. that movie really evokes that kind of loneliness you're talking about. In oh, I'm dying culture. to see that. Yeah, it's, it's, on, it's on HBO so Max right good. now. Just buy the Blu-ray with the director's commentary, honestly. It's so you good. You had me at Blu-ray with director's commentary. <laughs> yeah. I think, is, that, is that one of the Vinegar Syndrome uh, imprint labels? Yes. Yes, uses? it is. Yep. Yeah, those are always great. Ton of features. And we love our features. Oh, yeah. I got their uh, Tragedy Girls release recently, and I was so excited. There's so much stuff packed on there. Oh, cool. Oh, nice. I didn't know about that. Yeah. Uh, highly recommend that one, too. Not found footage, but just really good. But, Box uh, Office Pulp recommends Tragedy Girls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd say by that. But uh, just to talk about we're all going to the World's Fair for a moment. I mean, I'm, I'm actually blanking out because I saw this one a few months ago. It's, it's basically told through, like, YouTube recordings back and forth between the, the people involved, right? So it... 
the thing that it didn't occur to me as a found footage movie until I just was thinking about it right now, but it, it kind of fits that definition. It's kind of kind of a found footage. Yeah, it mostly is. There are a few shots that um, maybe it's just one. I feel like there's at least the one end, shot. Yeah, I, there might. I don't. Yeah, I don't want to give too much away. Not that no, there's me like, either. <laughs> but it's mostly it's mostly like videos and screen lifestyle. Like it it scratches the found footage itch for sure. Yeah. But the the thing that really stands out to me about that particular movie is it's not like most found footage where there are plot developments necessarily. In, in my mind, this is almost more of a tone poem. It's it's about that kind of lonely isolation, desolation feel that the entire movie has where this girl is, you know, participating in this challenge and you get to kind of evaluate her mental state through the whole thing. Yeah, it's vibes. Pretty much. And I don't know if you get as much of that in found footage, because a lot of times you end up with people, you know, running through the woods or being chased through a haunted asylum. Uh, And this one is very still. It's Mm -hmm. very patient. And a lot of the times you're watching Casey watch videos. So you're like another layer removed from the action that's happening. And the character Casey is watching videos that have been like edited and posted to YouTube. So it's like, we're watching such curated content. It's it's again, it's like this videos on top of videos we talked about with butterfly kisses. We're all going to the world's fair has a little bit of that and that it's like you're watching someone who's watching something else. Yeah, and it's all about okay, you're trying to determine what she thinks reality is. <laughs> you're you're guessing on top of watching through eight different layers. Yeah. So I, I guess that's definitely to the film's point, but everything gets very obscured. It's wonderful. See, that would have been one I would have kicked myself uh, if we ended the episode and I hadn't brought it up because I totally spaced on it being found footage for some reason. <laughs> but yeah, uh, that one is on HBO Max, if I didn't say so before. Uh, so folks should be able to go and check that one out if they have a, scrip- a subscription there. Yeah. Unless, Get it now uh, before it's tweeted just, randomly. Yeah, I was about to say, before they just start tossing Seriously. more stuff for no reason. My goodness. Um, a movie, so a couple movies we haven't watched yet, if I could just do some like rapid fire recommendations. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, I love that. Um. Murder Death Koreatown is kind of hard to find, but if you can find it, it is worth your time. It is another movie. So I mentioned Be My Cat, a film for Anne earlier. That's a movie that made me feel unsafe. You know, like, oh, what am I watching? Um, mm-hmm. Murder Death Koreatown is similar. Also a movie called Sandman, which is like S ampersand man. So it looks like S&M man. Ah. Uh. Have you? I don't know if you guys have seen that one, but it's um nope. that one's more of like a documentary style. But that's a movie that feels unsafe. If you like to like creep into little bits of the extreme, um, moving away from that, Death of a Vlogger is very very good. That's a screen life style one about a YouTuber who is trying to get followers. Very recent. I think it just came out in like 2019. Um, and Night Shot is a French found footage movie that is, I don't know if it was really shot in one take or if it's just edited to look that way, but the fact that it feels like one take is really unique. Um, And then I also wanted to mention Hell House LLC, which is on Shudder. (laughs) I I, see my problem was before you guys mentioned uh, Grave Encounters and I immediately went to, but Grave Encounters 2 is so bad. And then I thought, but wait. I really like Hell House LLC, and I really hate the sequel. So I guess those are in the same boat. Okay, but did you watch the third one? Yeah. Okay, it didn't help. I I okay. did not care for two or three. There was just something in my brain that just yeah. did not engage with those two. But I absolutely loved no, the first one. No, it's fair. 
they're not the, as good as the first one. I really don't care for the second one, but the third one kind of made me go, okay, I buy it. <laughs> I'm back in. But Did you, you see really the news? They're just... working on a, a fourth one right now. Are you for real? Can we I not? Saw, I, I think I saw, how long ago was that? I, I don't know if it's supposed to be like a direct continuation or if it's kind of I know they're working on semi-reboot. The Abaddon tapes, which was going to be like more additional footage of the hotel. I know they were working on that. So yeah, uh, yeah. Because didn't they say like they were thinking it. of a TV show at some point? And I don't know oh, if that ever came to fruition. I don't know about all that. Have there been found footage TV shows? Um, I'm not I thinking say of no. any. That could be an open market. Maybe so uh, this wild. was a, a Fangoria article from October 16th this year. Uh, Haunted House franchise Hell House LLC will add a new chapter next year with Hell House LLC Origins, the Carmichael Manor. So we we are getting another one apparently. You know, I'm gonna watch it. Like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> whatever. Yeah, I was listening to an interview with the head of Shutter a couple of weeks back, who was like super proud of them acquiring that franchise, and he was saying like they like he, he would be happy if they just kept making Hell House movies indefinitely. So yeah, you're gonna get plenty. Okay, well, good for them. This one sounds like it's gonna be more of a uh, prequel story to everything else that happened. So I don't know much about it. Uh, it's just one of those, like, every story has an origin is the tagline. So sounds very You know creepy. what? That's technically true. So let's do it, <laughs> I guess. We're going to have an extended universe. The Hell House LLC multiverse. Before I'm, I'm just hell. surprised that the House franchise hasn't managed to use that log line. How are they not making, like, a House 5 that's a prequel that's called that? <laughs> <laughs> they already used the second story. Yeah. I know, right? It's it's yeah. there. Yeah. Come it's on, guys. there. You're done. <laughs> we made the joke. The prequel could be called like Foundation or yeah. something. Oh, right? now we're talking. Yes, yeah, there we go. Green light it. Let's go. Hold on, Mike. Cut that out of the episode so no one steals it. We gotta <laughs> and just end with a shovel going in the ground. Maybe. <laughs> don't don't. The, the ending of Necromantic. <laughs> this just reminds me of all the attempts people have made over the years to try and do a prequel story of The Shining. Like everyone just really wanted to do a movie about building the Overlook Hotel, which seems bonkers to me that that's where people think that franchise should go or also this needs to be a franchise yeah just let it if it's not mike flanagan then i'm interested yeah i'm with you on that mike flanagan i am a flana fan i don't know what we're supposed to call ourselves yeah you're right that's whatever we are i'm a big fan panicans yeah the the king cast guys have to have like a cult already for that dude we just got to find out what term they're using and latch onto it one of us (laughs) He, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but he's on TikTok now because of all the Twitter drama, and his TikToks are delightful. And he's so I'm unassuming. Not, I feel like I don't understand TikTok, and it's too late to try. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's posting more on Instagram as well, so if you just want to look at him posting like pictures of his life, you can, you can creep on him. Okay. I'm into it. Yeah, I'm of Same. the age where my experience with TikTok is being sent to it via other social media apps. So I'm yeah. with you on that. I'm like, I'm not learning to do social media. I am comfortably in my mid thirties. Don't come at me with that. <laughs> I, I'm I just saying we all have to get ready for it and understand the lingo because before what? we know it, we're gonna have a TikTok found footage horror movie and we're gonna need to know <laughs> okay. how it works. That's true, and at that point, I will get on board so I can understand the movie and have an opinion on it. I think TikToks can only be like two minutes long. This is going to be so many different TikToks strung together. You're going to have people like retweet. I don't even know the terms. They're going to be like pairing together. It's going to be awful. Hey, people are already trying to do like ARGs and little horror shorts on TikTok. It's starting. It's going to happen. 
I do yeah. like how many different kinds of media like to give horror creators different ways to be creative. I do think that's cool. The best thing in t- about TikTok in my mind is it is teaching an entire generation of like 14 and 15 year olds uh, how to edit. And they're all immaculate at it. It's it's amazing. We can get these people making movies. You're going to have that's the true. slickest editing you're ever going to see in your life. They're all going to be just the best at it. Guess that's the silver lining, eh? <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, you know. I, why not? I'll just get a lot of TikToks at work of large dudes rubbing their stomachs. Mike, is this your For You page or are these being sent to you? No, if I'm, if I'm being paid for it, it's different. These are being sent to me. <laughs> okay. It just sounds creepy I get when you paid say it for that this. way. Technically. Okay. Well, oh, yeah, sure. Okay. No follow-up uh, questions. Make your money. No. Yeah. <laughs> I get. I get paid for. I get that, and I get Nazis. What? It's a fun what day do, at work. What do? What do you do? Can I ask you that? I don't know. Do I? Do I want to leave it a mystery and just have you be confused forever? I'll just invent a job that doesn't exist. So either it would way, probably be better than what I do, which is oh, internet wah, wah. safety evaluator. I, I, okay. I, I examine content on YouTube for. For Google and uh, for checking for uh, low quality kids content or click farming stuff or hateful content or content that's harmful. I watch so many people build bombs. The elections have been fun for Mike. (laughs) Oh, every time something happens in the news, it's you know, what's the scariest fucking found footage movie ever? Get hours upon hours upon fucking hours of live stream footage from inside the trucker caravans protesting oh. COVID? Mike, I am really sorry that I asked. I, if, <laughs> I, I mean, not for me, like, because it sounds like a lot. Like, I hear stories about people who do your job, and it seems sort of just like this mystical thing that someone out there does. But, like, yeah, you are actually really doing that. Like, I hope I'm you're okay. Saying... I want to send you a blanket and, like, an ice cream. <laughs> Please, I'm holding please on because a, I'm hoping one day he play. gets uh, basically the sinister treatment. Like he just has to put these videos together. Okay, sinister is excellent, and it's found footage adjacent, so technically it's pretty close. Counts. Yeah. It yeah. is about like, like, found footage. footage. Yeah, that's one of those halfsies. I would I would say something like behind the mask too, where it like starts as kind oh, of yeah. a mockumentary, yeah. and then towards the end it transitions like, no, we're just going to do an actual slasher now. Yeah, it's good enough. You can lump it in. They count. That that direct-to-video Hellraiser movie where they just conk in a couple of scenes that are found footage? Oh, is that, uh... Revelations. That was Revelations. Uh, okay, yes. Movie I was going to say Judgment, revelations. but that's not a movie. <laughs> Judgment Day is a movie. No, isn't... Uh, no, it's boy, just now I'm forgetting all the different Hellraiser direct-to-video titles. Dead There's Hell uh, Hellseeker. Hell, Hell, Hell went online. There is there is one that's called Judgment though, isn't there? Like Judgment that was Day, the most... I thought, yeah. yeah I, I, I thought think... that was like the most recent one yeah, before that's the twenty eighteen. That's the one with the second fake pinhead. Why yeah, Hellraiser know Judgment. There we go. So much about the Hellraiser franchise. <laughs> we all uh, need to it, take a long look at ourselves. It replaced all of the calculus I used to know from, <laughs> from like high school and college. Now I just happen to know like, hey, remember when Henry Cavill was in a Hellraiser movie? Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <sighs> Well, now I feel sad because I'm thinking about uh, the trucking convoy and Hellraiser. So, <laughs> yeah, it is Hellraiser. I got footage from inside the Capitol. Oh my goodness! They were live streaming. Yeah, you. Um, I don't like. I want to say like thank you for doing the work that you do, but I feel like there's no way to say that without being hella cheesy. So just have <laughs> we do to look we, at it. It's like Spider-Man One. Like you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us, Mike, and we do them salutes. 
Uh, help us unionize. We're trying. Okay. Box Office Pulp recommends unions. <laughs> my my company does have a, a mental health program for us. That's good. I, is, th- is, I mean, is, that sounds good. It's, it's, Are the mental health programs also YouTube videos? Stop it. <laughs> There's actually a couple, yes. Because oh that just God. seems like a vicious cycle. I don't I don't know if that's actually going to help. I have to listen to so much One News Network. It's One American News, Next Star, Next News Network. They all kind of sound the same now that I think about it. Just See, mix this... and match some syllables. <laughs> well, wrong. You can only rephrase incorrect information so many different times. <laughs> you know what Job fucking did? Ruin Jim Brewer for me. Uh, <laughs> That that Jim Brewer is like that 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 would re- weirdly hurt, and I don't know that why. That would hurt. I would have forgotten he went crazy, but I don't know if you know this. He has a YouTube radio show, and well, that's not a it's good about sign. what you think. Why does YouTube have radio? Isn't the Ted Nugent has a news show footage? on YouTube? I don't know because every fucking dumbass comedian who decides to do a show for some reason does it from like. As if they're like a, a zoo crew news radio sets with like headphones on. Like you don't have to do that. Like look at the other video podcasts from people who are younger than you. Do you see <laughs> them wearing any of this shit and with wacky shit around them? They're they're like carrying a boom mic. <sighs> it's funny what whenever I occasionally see Lance with shooting a bow and arrow. By the way, oh god! I was supposed to say I love whenever I see clips of shows like that and they still announce the name of the show in the middle of the show like you're coming back from a commercial <laughs> if you're just joining us if you clicked on from... the 20 minute mark of the video <laughs> someone in your family was concerned so they sent you a time stamped uh, <laughs> hateful youtube video yikes <laughs> so anyways the third part of our series talking about found footage movies is going to be when we join in with mike live living his sinister two <laughs> Yeah. This is my way of wrapping us back around. (laughs) We We need more Bagul. I'll stand by that. More Bagul. We can do like a live episode about real life found footage and just blow everybody's minds. (laughs) I mean, that's pretty close to One Cut of the Dead. We could uh, have a Maryland version of One Cut of the Dead. That's our 1,000th episode. There you go. Lock it in. And Jamie's already got a title for it. Perfect. Maybe get a different guest. I don't want people to Google my name and that comes up. Fair point. (laughs) All right. Well, I think (laughs) before we go back down the uh, old YouTube rabbit hole, we're going to wrap things up, folks. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find more of us, you can find us at Box Office Pulp. Uh, We are on... I forget, a myriad of different services. You can find us on Spotify. <laughs> I, I have to actually do the closing for a while. I forget all the services we're every on Every time. <laughs> every time. I told you, Mike, we should just record like an outro and use it every time. Uh, you can find us. Just type Box Office Pulp on the internet. You'll find us. We're on uh, Twitter, as long as that's still around, at Box Office Pulp. Uh, Ariel, if people want to find more of your writing, uh, where can they get that at? Yeah, absolutely. You can follow me on Twitter for as long as that exists at re underscore Hellraiser. You can also find me on Letterboxd at the same name. And um, I'll post all my writing and stuff to Twitter, but most of it will be at ghoulsmagazine.com. So you can find me there. Awesome. So folks, uh, you've got homework. She gave us a great list of found footage movies to go check out. So now I feel like a teacher. I'm actually saying you have to report back in next week and uh, have an essay written for each one of those penmanship will be factored into your grade oh 
God, not penmanship. I'm sorry. I know. In these days and age, it's important. I have to know what you're writing on the grocery list. It's important. <laughs> I have the worst handwriting, just for real. So, But I don't have to do the homework because I'm. That's I'm, true. I'm, yeah. I got yeah, nervous you... for a second. Oh, no, you passed the course. You're fine. <laughs> oh, whew. <laughs> All right, folks. That's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening in. And like that, he's gone. This is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been a Pulp Podcast production. Now please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And now, on with the show.